Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live here on a Monday. And thanks to all of you that are jumping in and and dealing with some schedule adjustments. It's a holiday weekend. Get used to it. We are going to do our best to deliver all of the great content, just maybe on a slightly different schedule. Uh, Among that included, go ahead and set the alarm, set those calendars, uh, because we will be doing our locks episode on Wednesday. Wednesday, you can join uh, in our week 13 locks episode at youtube.com slash cover three to watch the taping live. We will be going live at 10 a.m. on Wednesday. But hey, you know, there's a way that you can have this all done for you. You don't even have to take notes. You do it by subscribing to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash cover three. Smash the bell for those notifications so you get a notification when we go live, when we've got new videos, and you can join in on the conversation. Speaking of, we see everyone in the chat. Please smash that like button. Uh, If you're nice to Coca and we get these likes up, we might have some swag to give away. Who knows? Uh, But we got to jump into a, a very busy rundown here on Upon Further Review beginning with the coaching carousel because we came to you with the emergency podcast yesterday in the wake of Dan Mullen being fired by Florida. And so now we've had a little bit of time to reach out to sources, a little bit of time to view the landscape, see what we're hearing, what we're feeling. Um, I guess, Danny, I'll give you first crack at this. As you look at the Florida job, what stands out as the most, um, you know, is it timeline? Is it candidates? You know, what, what is the most interesting thing to you as we start to spin this thing forward? The same thing that makes these universities and jobs great are the same thing that makes it unattractive to some of the candidates that maybe they want. What I say, what I mean is, like Florida's a, would you say it's a top five? Like it's definitely in the conversation for that top five, definitely top 10 job in the country. It'll give you all the resources you want. You get a lot of backing, a lot of passionate fans. But you can't even keep a coach who's won a national championship there more than six years. Like you had a coach in Jim McElwain who went to back-to-back SEC championship games and you run him off. You have a coach in Dan Mullen who looked like things were heading the right direction and he has the downturn and it's Sia. And I just, I look at these jobs and I'm like, man, it's, it, is that attractive then? Yeah, you'll get some coach who believes I can be the guy that can turn it around. But the more likelihood is... Coach is going to look at it and say, man, what kind of stability is that? Which means you're going to have to up your price. You're going to have to up your buyout. You're going to have to up everything on there. And it just becomes this vicious cycle that we continue to see at these top tier programs that, you know, just have these like, what do you think a real, I'll give you the expectation. I think a Florida Gator fan thinks we should win a national championship every three to four years. That's, 
That's crazy stupid. But I think that's exactly what they're telling you by with this cycle of coaches that they've been through. I, I think that's an interesting take. And, and I don't disagree that some Gator fans feel that way, Danny. But, I mean, Florida is a bit of a – they're sort of new money and old money, right? Like their success is new money. It's all come within like the last 30 or so years. They were the last first-time national champion. Since Steve Spurrier won the national championship in 96, there has not been another first-time national champion. But, I mean, here's the thing. I I don't think they expect to win the national championship that often. I do think they expect to not get their ass kicked by Kirby Smart on the recruiting trail and not be recruited out-recruited by Mike Norvell, who has a losing record through two years in Tallahassee, and he's smoking you on the recruiting trail as well. Manny Diaz, who very well may be fired come Saturday, is also, you know, like you're not beating him consistently. And you had a great start in Gainesville, and you didn't do a damn thing with it on the recruiting trail. Florida's not trying to get the Jim McElwain results where they only win the East when the East is horribly down. They're trying to win the East when the East is up. And, look, I the thing is, which they did last year. They did. They did. Yeah. Well, and so this the year, last... they're like, they're, but there's no signs he was going to turn it back around, is my thought. Like, I was willing to dismiss, and I did so on this show, some of their losses as flukish. But the team got worse basically every single week. It was clear they didn't respect him anymore, and he lost the locker room. They weren't doing a damn thing on the recruiting trail. The money is a tax write off for the booster who, who gives it, which is why firing season comes so perfectly here at the end of the year. And with the SEC contract, like, I would have fired Dan Mullen. Absolutely. FSU fans are, should be pissed that they fired Dan Mullen. He was not going to get it turned around. You have tons of money. You don't have to pay the players. The money's got to go somewhere. Might as well take a swing at it and see if you can get somebody in there who can do better. So the last three head coaches, the three post-Urban Meyer head coaches, all reached at least uh, a conference championship game and or a New Year's Six slash BCS game. None of them made it to 50. None of the three coaches after Urban Meyer made it to their 50th game. Um, this is to your point about Danny, like, does that change your motivation if you just see consistently the way that the the ripcord is pulled on these coaches, potentially? Or are you enticed by like I I've got the game plan? You know, like this this has been mismanaged. This is an opportunity for me, the alpha that come in here and be able to lead this, the like national championships in the making. I think that is Scott Strickland's sales pitch. Um, But what about on the candidate side? Are we, is this, y'all want to talk about some, some Twitter bios? Y'all seen this? No. What happened? Everybody's following Napier. Mm. Bunch of players, bunch of staffers, you know, Everybody just started following the Louisiana head coach. Now, maybe that's just doing your research, you know. <laughs> right, maybe that's for LSU. Maybe they want to play at LSU. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. that's somewhere else, too. Like, they're probably smart. Like, this is the hottest guy out there. Maybe we follow him, and then we'll just be ready to go wherever he lands. Right. That's interesting. I didn't see that. But so I, it went from Instagram unfollowing to now we're following Twitter following is yes. what we're doing. Yeah, I want to. I want to see who uh, at these primary SEC schools who's got the most players, staffers, people associated with the program uh, following these these coaching candidates. It's the new flight tracker, baby. It's social media. That's what we got to do right now. I think there's a very similar 
mentality at Texas and Florida. Now, clearly, Florida's had more success recently. But the mentality, there's an arrogance that's there at both these schools. Um, at Texas, it's we're the best. And like it doesn't matter what's going on outside the program. There's an arrogance that's there, whether it's deserved or not. And I think that kind of that mentality catches on within the, the players as well. And I think this and I, I feel like I nailed this Florida team in the preseason when we took the I took the under for the win total. I said this team, you know, if they're if they're good, they could have the talent to like if Anthony Richardson would have been hot or Emory Jones would have been hot. I think the talent was on this team to go over. But with Georgia's dominance, I didn't think they'd beat Georgia. Now here's I thought I didn't see Kentucky and LSU losses coming. I thought Alabama loss and I thought Georgia loss. And then I thought with two went two losses, they would throw in the towel. And the team would essentially quit and say, Well, if we can't play for an SEC East champion, you know division title, and if we can't play for an SEC title, then I'm out. And I think that's a similar mentality at Texas we've seen over the years. Like, they come out, they have preseason hype, the expectations there, they buy in, they might even have a really impressive win, um, you know, on the resume early, but as soon as they can't accomplish what they think they were going to accomplish, then it's it's done. It's done. So I don't know if that's a Sark problem or if it's a Dan Mullen problem. I feel like it's a cultural problem at both these schools that they're they really struggle with. Danny, I think that's a really interesting point, too. My, my counter to that would be, like, the difference that I see is that Texas has not been there, you know, one win away from the playoff, right? Florida was last year, right? Texas has not had, a, like, a, like much of a shot to win the Big 12. Florida has actually played for something with real skin in the game, and I totally understood that loss to Oklahoma being hand-waved last year in the bowl game. I didn't count for anything, and I wouldn't do it either, either again if I had to. You had a bunch of guys – they were playing for a national title. They've done the BCS game thing just the prior year in the Orange Bowl where, where they played hard and crushed Virginia, if, if I recall right. It was UVA, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, but I think what you just said there, though, that you thought once this team was out of the fight, they would quit like during the regular season down the stretch is a perfect case for firing Dan Mullen mm-hmm. because there was no real thought that he was actually going to turn this around. We laughed at it on this very show. Yeah, let's go fire some coordinators and that'll work. Usually not. That's just a way for the head coach to buy himself another year. It um, it also too. I think the culture there, the the culture of quitting, and no real accountability of every single game matters was the response to the Marco Wilson shoe toss. Remember when he really kind of just dismissed it, like wasn't that big of a deal? And I know he's you could see that as protecting his player too. But when there's no real consequence and no real backlash from that, it kind of sends a message to your team like, oh. He doesn't care if we do that. And then the mail it in for the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma. If there's, there's, that's very clear cut. That was coming from Dan Mullen when he says, our season ended after. Like, you won't hear a lot of coaches admit that. Most of them will be, oh, we're still going to compete. We're still going to go out there and give it our best shot. I think you set the tone with that bowl game last year that, yeah, it's okay to kind of throw in the towel. We're Florida. We're playing for championships. And if we're not, everything else is an exhibition where we're looking for the next year. I don't think in college football you can do that because there's so few games and the people that are really invested, the boosters that are given a whole bunch of money, the fans who really care, like your your customers, I guess, if you really want to get cold and business-like on it, like they only have 13 or 14 times to be able to ha- experience happiness, take pride, and want to give 
in of themselves uh, to your program. And when you waste or write off one of those 13 or 14 opportunities across an entire calendar year, they're going to bail on you. And I think that that's definitely one of the things that uh, we saw happen to Dan Mullen. Um, I want to, uh, there's a, one of the popular questions is all these jobs are coming open. Not everybody's going to be able to get their dream higher. I also uh, took note of James Franklin, and, and I think we said this, Bud, yesterday on the emergency pod, James Franklin's kind of hinting at the idea that Penn State might be announcing a new deal uh, for Franklin to stay with the Nittany Lions in the near future. If that happens, and that is a big if, you know, who nothing is ever finalized until we've got the press conference, and even then things could change very quickly. But if Franklin who has been the centerpiece of our coaching carousel conversations since the coaching carousel started back in September. If Franklin is off the board, then maybe a few other coaches might also be off the board and then someone will be left out. What do you think are like some of the ripple effects? Like who are going to be the losers in terms of schools or winners in terms of coaches? Like what are the dominoes if Franklin is not a piece that moves? It all depends on, you know, does Florida actually want James Franklin? Or, you know, do they, do they want a, a Luke Fickle or a Mark Stoops? Recall, Strickland's mentor is like Mitch Barnhart, the, the UK AD, right? So if Florida wants Mark Stoops, I feel like Barnhart's probably going to shoot him straight. Hey, this is a guy that I think actually can handle that big of a job. Or, hey, man, we, we love him here because he gives us something to celebrate in the basketball offseason. He consistently fills our stadium up because we're going to win six, seven, eight ball games. But I don't know, like, if he's got that mentality to handle a job that big. Whatever it is, I think Barnhart will probably shoot the guy straight because if Florida wants him and, and Stoops wants a bigger job, he'll jump, right? Um, and so it's good to have that 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 good intel. You know, what if they want Napier? I, I don't know that Franklin staying bust up that many plans because they're not having USC. I I don't are know. Are we on sure USC. those offers are still there for Franklin? I mean, his stock has absolutely plummeted. Where and I do think we live in this crazy irrational, short-sighted world of college football craziness that I wouldn't be surprised if USC, who might have loved James Franklin, like, this is our guy, might have said, oof, three losses in a row, that lost Illinois, let's start looking somewhere else. Like I, like, I think that's a very real possibility that maybe he was the target, now he's not. Ooh. Well, he's going to get right paid here. anyway. Four, get eight. 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 He is. Yeah. Four, four and five are the key numbers I, I want to throw at you. Number four rated recruiting class for 2023, still pretty early there. Number five rated recruiting class this year right now. That's the huge difference between him and Dan Mullen and those guys. I think James Franklin can still coach. They've, they've had some tough situations there. They're not a better program than Michigan, but he's had them as a better program than Michigan for most of his tenure. And he had to come off that you know pretty crazy, all, all the Paterno or uh, Sandusky stuff. You know, they're not a better program than Ohio State. Ohio State is absolutely cooking and clicking during his tenure there. So he has not had the benefit of like Ohio State screwing around like the one year when they had Fickle, you know, and he's been fairly competitive with Ohio State. They're the third best team in that division. Under James Franklin, they've often often been better. Or rather, they're the third best program in that division, right? Under James, they've been better than that, usually. And the guy can still recruit his butt off. I think he's proven that he can hire coordinators even when his guys get hired away, which is something that I think is undervalued in the coaching search. Right, like Billy Napier might go go to Florida and kill it. He's got the recruiting game plan from Saban, although like half the SEC runs that thing now. But has he had to replace coordinators? What does his coaching tree look like? What if things don't go well 
with a guy or what if things go too well and, and a coordinator gets hired away pretty early? What, what does his network of guys look like to get in there? Did, you know, that There are uncertainties with some of these candidates that we don't talk about a whole lot. I think the ability to run a program, the ability to produce pretty consistent results. He hasn't gotten to the mountaintop because he really hasn't gotten quarterback right. You know, Sean Clifford or uh, not oh, shoot the, the guy who's, who's back up on, I think the Ravens now uh, has been the best quarterback he's had there. Nick Sorley. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like they're, they're a fairly good outfit still and they get dinged because they're not Ohio state. Do you guys feel, if you would ask me last year, Mario Cristobal is leaving Oregon or considering leaving Oregon, I would have said, no, no way. I Getting beat like that to Utah, does that impact you? I, for me, I was looking at it from a standpoint of Mario's looking around thinking, man, I thought we were a little bit closer than this. Florida's open now. Like I, I wonder if Mario would be more willing to listen after missing out of the playoffs again you know, seeing how hard it is perception-wise, his conference is struggling. I don't know. That was one kind of takeaway. I was listening to your guys' uh, post-react, you know, post-show reaction, the reaction show on on Saturday night, and I was thinking about when because that was ugly. Like that was a that was a bad loss. And if you look like, oh man, and I know he's recruiting great, and he does it, but I, I was wondering if, and I'd be curious to know what you guys think. Is do you think he, because of a loss and just the way the season has kind of unfolded, would that if you were Mario? Or if you were like, would that make you more open-minded to, oh, okay, this may be really hard. I might have all the resources in the world, but man, I can get a lot more talent if I'm in a place like Florida or Miami. I think indirectly, yes, but only because of the timing. I think if he had a team that was competing for a national championship, it's much easier for you to be staying laser-focused on what is exactly ahead of you. And while they still are in the mix for the Pac-12 championship, which they can clinch with a win over Oregon State, I think the fact that they're not playing in the college football playoff allows for some conversations. I, I think Pete Thamel wrote about this, and I didn't get a chance to peruse the whole thing, but he just mentioned that timing is important. A coach like Matt Campbell, who's not going to be in the Big 12 championship game, now all of a sudden becomes available very quickly. It's you know, coach like Mario Cristobal, um, you know, not in the college football playoff, now all of a sudden might be more willing to make a move in a way that aligns with the timetable of a school. Like, what do you as an athletic director want for the timing of introducing your hire? Are you willing to wait until January? And I think that's a case-by-case basis. So for me, I don't know about Cristobal and how he emotionally feels about it, but logistically, it feels like the odds of him moving have increased after the loss. So... The, the word like in the industry was that Auburn wanted Mario last year, right? And maybe Mario didn't want to go run that same saving recruiting playbook against Alabama, against A&M in the same division, you know, and that better openings could be coming or openings with, with like less competition. We just talked about how James Franklin has not had it on easy button mode there at, at Penn State and has had to work pretty hard to get those results. Mario works really, really hard. But he has absolutely had the Pac-12 on easy mode during his time there. USC has been crap the entire time he's been there because they made an incompetent hire in Lynn Swan as an AD, right? I mean, like, they, they seriously did that. Uh, Chris Peterson retired in Mario's first year or second year? Second. I think Mario had already been there um, for before Jimmy, because Jimmy Lake only did two seasons. Yeah, that's right. One okay. of them was COVID shortened. So you know he, he had to, he had to face Chris Peterson in the North for two years, and then Peterson retired. 
and they went, went ahead and hired Jimmy Lake, and that was you know, pretty terrible. UCLA has not really been a threat. Utah's been good, but he's had the Pac-12 on, on, on easy button mode. And if USC nails the hire, he will no longer be able to recruit California the way he does because USC, with that name, I know Oregon is the Nike money, USC will again have right of first, first refusal on a lot more kids in California than Duck fans are going to like. Um, is Florida the right job for him? I don't know. Like, honestly, people, this surprises me. But like, people I talk to really do think Mario has a special affinity for the Miami job, like above and beyond what I think is reasonable. <laughs> like, and granted, I went to Florida State, but like, I, 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 maybe. Maybe Miami really is going to have all that money from U Health, you know, and have an unlimited budget like their former players proposed. Dan, I don't know if you caught that or not. I saw it. Yeah, I heard yeah. that. Yeah, the unlimited budget is pretty solid. Uh, <laughs> if you can get it, obviously. My, my wife kind of spends for Christmas like like I, I run that in my house. Um, you know, I think he. Part of the other discussion on Mario is going to be: Do they think that they actually have a quarterback who's a year or two away? If yes, I think it makes it more likely you stay. If you think you whiffed on quarterback, peace. Do you think, just echoing on your Miami thing, with unlimited budget, I have, in my mind, this is the visual I get when I hear about Miami's commitment. I got a buddy of mine who's a diehard Hurricane fan. Of course, he didn't go there because no one went there that roots for him. <laughs> ah. and he's a diehard. And he's, we were out to dinner last uh, week, and he's like, hey, it's like two names, Mario and Lane. He's done with the usuals. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's totally in chat rooms. Those are his sources. And uh, so he's like, yeah. And the rumor is we're going to get big financial commitment to it. My hunch is whoever was there, this U Health, whatever the corporate is, and whoever's kind of floating these rumors is that they were and they want to be, but then they see $95 million floated out there from Mel Tucker and they do the Homer Simpson like walk back in the bush. Like, oh, we thought committing was going to be around 50 to 60, not 90 to 100 million to a head coach who may not be here in three or four years. Like maybe they are, but it's such like the, the financial commitment that we talk about is so much bigger than I don't even know if Miami realizes. And I think there's only a very select hand few, uh, um, you know, just a few programs that are truly willing to make that type of crazy commitment. Do you think that um, just like not a bar bet, but I think it's something we can come back to. Do you think Lane is coaching a different team at the start of 2022? Because I, I we we could have as many as three prestigious Power Five jobs, which he could like reasonably. If Lane Kiffin was introduced as the next head coach at LSU, Florida, or Miami, I wouldn't be stunned. I wouldn't be floored by it. I'd be like, "Wow, this is a, you know, this is a headline grabbing move." You know, hit the sirens and get ready for the page views. Like it, it is a good for business traffic fountain. If Lane Kiffin leaves Ole Miss at this point and goes to take over one of these programs, Do you I would think be, I'd be stunned if he went to LSU. I'd be surprised if you went to Florida. There are obvious connections there, but like people who cover Florida more than I do tend to think that they don't want to do that. I would not at all be shocked if he's coaching Miami, if Miami really makes the commitment. That's the unknowable here. Um, but he's I'll losing say, Corral. What if I mean, is he going to get Arch? <laughs> Does it hinge on that? 
Arch is a 23 kid, though. Oh, yeah, okay. he, can, he can bring him to the next place wherever he goes. I, I'll say it's 50-50 that he's somewhere else. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer. I, don't know, I think, and if you do look at what he's done this season, like you set the bar super high, can you replicate this with LSU getting a new coach and, you know, with Alabama not going anywhere? Like, are you going to be relegated back to kind of where you usually are? A little it's time to walk away from Texas the crowd. A&M, haven't even mentioned A&M. Like, what's going on there? Um, I I think, if you know, I think he's, I would, maybe I'll go even like 60-40, he's gone. Yeah, which is even at 50 50, that's a higher percentage than any old Miss fan wants to hear. Absolutely. Because, yeah. that, I mean, that opens up a domino where then, you know, we're trying to, to figure out who might land uh, at one of those jobs. Anyway, we, we are. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was saying, like, the, do we assume he stays in the Southeast? You know? Um, right. I think he does. I, well, I think Florida makes a ton of sense because he was at FAU. I do think he enjoyed his time. Um, I think he actually lived in Delray, which is where I live when he was uh, in Boca. Um, but I think the I think he he's a smart guy. He knows there's a lot of talent on these streets. <laughs> like I think he knows you got a lot of access to a lot of dudes um, in the state of Florida. So I think that's attractive to him as well. Would Would you jump to Auburn if Auburn opens? You think Auburn's going to open because of the I think COVID it really stuff, could. the vaccine thing, or because he's fired? I don't think that, that I don't think a lot of the power bro- brokers wanted Brian Harson in the first place. I I, I think Alan Green, the AD, done? yeah. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just say like first, we we proposed this on, on the Saturday night show. Danny, do you think what, what odds would you give me that, that Harson gets to year three at Auburn? Oh, I would have I would have said probably. Uh, to me, it was a really crapshoot type of hire. Like right. this is either going to work really well or it's going to be a complete disaster. And I would have said probably aired on complete disaster. I mean, look, I think Alan Green seized power there as you had different booster factions warring over who to hire and trying to tell certain coaching candidates they had to probably retain these assistants or whatever, or hire, you know, this Auburn guy or, you know, the keep Kevin Steele and his guys or hire Mike Bobo. Well, I guess they did hire Mike Bobo. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, Somebody asked uh, what the COVID thing is at Auburn. I just want to clear it up. Isn't there a mandate at Auburn that he'll have to be vaccinated by December something? I, I had seen a, that. I believe it could a, be a similar Rolovich type of situation. That's what I was refer- referencing. It is unclear about his status. He has not been forthcoming, and no one at the university has commented one way or the other. But and where I thought it was going to be a potential issue was I think the school might have some mandate either for faculty or staff or something that he's going to have to clear that up pretty quickly. Or, I mean, that might be the opportunity for the school to get out of it if they're leaning in some different direction and they just lost to South Carolina. Like that could be let's like that could be their out if they was Brian I think Harson. it's a federal mandate that Auburn has to comply with because they take because they take federal funds. I don't think the state of Alabama actually has a mandate. I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, and I, 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 there's a, I don't know, man. They're they're not Do doing you, well in recruiting. There's not a lot of buzz right there right now. There is a lot of buzz at A and M. They're about to have a crazy crazy class. Alabama's not going to have a bad class. Newsflash: LSU is keeping its class together fairly well. What if Auburn and Texas are one and done? Uh, Texas, uh, Texas is not, is it? I don't think so, unless they really don't think Sark can rebuild. Like, if they hired Sark because they thought they wanted to go from like an eight win team to a you know ten, twelve win team, and now they found out, oh shoot, this is actually a big time rebuild. Hey. Then you need to kind of think about is Sark the right guy to handle a rebuild? 
That motto wasn't tap the brakes. <laughs> it was yeah. All gas, no brakes. Right. This was a we're going to win right away type of mentality. And I know you want to come in with some of that positivity, but losing five games in a row, I don't, Chip, you like you said it, and I'm kind of like, no way, but it is as bad a culture like problem as we've seen. You talk about quitting and all the issues that have taken place, including Pole Assassin, including players transferring and walking out, yelling at the coaches during practice. The eyes of it Texas is, thing last year. It is bad. It does not look good. But I almost feel like you have to give them another year. But I, this is going to be is this is there any doubt this will be the wildest coaching carousel over the next month? Like I can only I'm Mike. I love what we do, but I can only imagine the text like, "Hey, we're going to get the sirens, get the red sirens. We got another one." Like all these emergency pods, I'm going to have to clear out the schedule just to make sure we're ready to go because I think we're going to see some dominoes fall. And don't forget Scott Woodward's mo is swing for the fences. So is there a sneaky? Is there one that we're not counting as even an opening, but it could be open? Yeah, to me, I got one. Wildest includes like twists and turns. I think it will be one of the most notable or significant because of the jobs that are changing hands. But like for us to get wildest, I need to have somebody hired and fired in 10 days. I need to have like everyone thinking that one coach is going to be introduced and then have it all fall apart at the last second. I need it to be something that's like uh, pretty epic. Would it surprise you if you had a hired and rehired within two weeks <laughs> like, or, or less? Like you get hired at one school and then all of a sudden there's another one that's a better school, sort of like Manny Diaz going to Temple and then going to Miami. Like that that was a more uh, like palpable payout that they had to buy out. But, I mean, I, just, I think this is going to be wild. 100. Who was your one? Who's your one, bud? Yeah. Is it Oklahoma? No, it's uh, – it's, oh, I thought you meant for uh, – for LSU. Okay, go ahead. Bill O'Brien. Hmm. Boo! <laughs> Bill O'Brien's name is connected to everyone because he's Bill O'Brien and everybody likes him. And if, number one, listen. They when didn't I like say, him in the NFL circles. I know yeah. that. <laughs> when, I, when I say everybody likes him, I'm, I am indicating that if your name is consistently surfaced as like the fourth or fifth name, for a lot of jobs, then here's how it sounds like the conversation goes. Oh, yeah, yeah, and here, and that guy, and that guy, and that guy. Okay, cool. Um, any other names we should be keeping an eye on? Ah, uh, <laughs> Bill O'Brien. And Yeah, sure, absolutely. He's got the, the track record to go. But the one hang-up on Bill O'Brien for me would be, I think that it would violate what I've always understood to be the two-year rule. I, it, I've understood that Nick Saban really wants you to spend two years with the program and he is not going to be uh, excited. Like Bill O'Brien would not be leaving under good graces if that is still the expectation for the Nick Saban assistance. You come in, you do at least two years, and then if you know you go and you get a job, you take off. So Bill O'Brien, only one year with the program and then gone, would be um, it, it, again. That might not be the expectation anymore, but a couple years ago, someone told me that was just sort of the the informal understanding that Nick Saban had with a lot of these assistants who come into the Nick Saban Reform School for Embattled Coaches. Bill O'Brien could end up somewhere. We'll oh, see. he! I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like, but I don't think it's. Is that not a swing for the fences? Name? I don't think. No, that doesn't resonate. I think your reaction would be most LSU fans like boo. That was mine too when I got told this morning. Yeah. Yeah, boo. But I mean, that's not to Bill O'Brien the person. I'm just just giving my reaction to the hire. Speaking also, of, not as good for content. And I always root for me. 
Speaking of timing, you know, we're talking about timing for Mario Cristobal, ugly loss to Utah. If Bedlam goes the wrong way and Caleb Williams, Spencer Sanders doesn't work out, are you guys willing to listen to Lincoln Riley at LSU? I mean, I think With LSU's a better open job. Mind? What? LSU's a better job than, than Oklahoma once Oklahoma joins the, you know, the SEC. So, so would you? So are you? I thought it was crazy talk, and now I'm starting to think, like maybe it's not so crazy talk, and that would be the Kim Mulkey Baylor. You know, built up a dynasty at Baylor, and he brings her back home. Now she had some ties to the school, but you want to swing for the fences, and I don't know if Oklahoma would get into this bidding war. Like, sure, we'll back up ten a year or twelve a year for Lincoln. I just don't know if they would do that. I love that you are the, uh, the director of vibes, <laughs> like because that's what, it's like. You say timing, but really it's just vibes. You just sniff totally. it out, like, like totally. Ooh, yeah, I think he's moving on. He's already thinking about Baton Rouge real estate. <laughs> starting thinking about ways to invest in this. I mean, what's Ethereum going for these days? Lincoln said. I mean, <laughs> do, do you guys know what we're missing right now? We, like, we are missing actually, like upper mid level jobs that could be filled by like top coordinators. Like a that, those are the jobs right now that aren't open, right? Yeah. Like, okay, TCU seems to want a head coach. Obviously, either Dykes or Napier is, is kind of my read on that situation. And we have Virginia Tech, but we don't have like, I don't know, a, a Tennessee or a Nebraska or, you know, something like, like, like we don't we don't have a lot of those open right now to where like maybe an Alex Grinch could go or – uh, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin or Dan Lanning, right? Like th- that's the kind of the next domino in all this thing to fall. Well, that would be like Ole Miss if Lane leaves. Sure, Ole Miss right. would satisfy that job and be very interesting to see what kind of candidates would be interested there. Yeah, right. Like a Mike Elko, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. um, Dan Mullen. <laughs> Dan Does Mullen he go back? Does he take a year off? I don't think I don't so because he's not. There's, there's no way that Dan Mullen's going to sell himself as a television personality. I'd he love also, to see Dan Mullen on TV with next to Danny on the CBS Sports set. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and I could very well be wrong about this. Take it as a preface, but I believe in the press conference yesterday, one of the notes was that he gets the full buyout regardless of what jobs he takes, like no yeah, mitigating no factors offset. or no offset language. So, congrats. Well, because he got deferred money. I, I think that's pro- that's kind of the thing, right? Like, if you're going to take a, a buyout that is six years deferred uh, for, for the final payment, you're not going to accept an offset. Mm. I wouldn't. I mean, like, it's you're already being offset by inflation. <laughs> we uh, we're going to keep talking about this coaching carousel, as Danny said, uh, for an extended period of time. But uh, always like to take the temperature, especially after a big job like Florida opens. Coming up on the other side, we're going to have new college football playoff rankings coming out on Tuesday. We've got a new number two team in the AP poll. It's poll versus playoff and upon further review, our final notes from week 12 and more next When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. When it comes to meat that will be the centerpiece of your holiday meals, listen, quality matters. And when you invest in high-quality meat from ButcherBox, the benefits go way beyond just the great-tasting meal. ButcherBox sources their meat from partners with the highest standards for quality. No more searching the grocery store for that 100% grass-fed beef, the free-range organic chicken, the wild-caught seafood, you know, trying to like look through all the different labels. No, no, you don't even have to worry about that because ButcherBox makes sourcing decisions that are holistically uh, keeping the farmer, the planet, the animal, and your family in mind. And there are so many different cuts of meat. Uh, you, I've gotten a chance, thanks to ButcherBox, to enjoy some steak tips. We did the uh, the sirloin cap. I mean, just really starting to dig into all these different kinds of beef. The chicken's been fantastic. Lots of different ways to do it. That uh, We've taken some chicken and we turned it to chicken breast. We take some chicken, we turn it into chicken salad. And all of it has been delicious. And every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home with free shipping in the continental U.S. There's no antibiotics or added hormones, and each box contains between 8 to 14 pounds of meat, depending on the box you choose. And look, that's enough for 24 individual meals. It's packed fresh and shipped frozen for convenience, so you can save time on your next grocery store trip. And this holiday season... ButcherBox is proud to give new members free New York strip steaks for a year. A year! This deal has never been offered before, and it won't last forever. Get two delicious 100% grass-fed New York strip steaks for free in every box for a year. This offer is only available until November 30th, so get it before it's gone. Just go to butcherbox.com slash cover three to sign up. That's butcherbox.com slash cover three to receive this limited time offer of free New York strip steaks for a year. This is not part of the ad read. I got the butcher box. I, I really like this. Like they, I, I was a little skeptical. Okay. You know, it, it, it arrives in great packaging. Uh, we've had the steak. We've had the chicken. Pork chops are actually really good too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Me too. Same thing. We had the wings. Buffalo made some buffalo wings. They were really good. Did you uh, make the sauce? Like, did you just sort of come up and, and cook up something yourself? I didn't. My wife slow cooked them. I've never had like Ooh. buffalo style wings slow cooked. They like fell off the bone. It was nice. really good. That was one of the things I was really excited about looking at the wings is that it was just sort of open for creativity, right? right. Just like yeah. all the flavoring and seasoning. Um, so if if you do want to challenge yourself, uh, nothing gets me more inspired than having all the like meat right there to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, always fun. Okay, so uh, playoff poll versus playoff. Ohio State has taken over the number two spot in the new uh, AP poll. Certainly something that doesn't come as a huge surprise considering just how impactful uh, that 56-7 to win was. However, when we go a little bit uh, deeper, we see that only 11 voting points, 1,434 to 1,423, separate Ohio State 
from Alabama, and then only seven voting points, 1,423 to 1,416, separate Alabama from Cincinnati. So while the headline is huge, Ohio State to number two, realistically what the AP voters have told us is that this this sort of like two, three, four combination is, is all looking very different. As we look ahead to the college football playoff rankings, knowing that Notre Dame, Michigan, and yes, Oklahoma State are all very much in the mix for a college football playoff spot. Uh, how do you think the selection committee is going to uh, set up uh, the dominoes going into the final weekend of the regular season? I think this week we are going to hear the selection committee talk about defense. If you think about it, they need to keep the Big 12 alive. Oklahoma's defense is pretty much fixed, I think. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense is really, really good. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That is these offenses, which are really kind of sputtering at times down the stretch or perhaps were never any good in the first place in Oklahoma State's case. I think they're going to be talking a whole lot about defense, uh, especially after Cincinnati came out and scored some points. Got to find your way to keep the thumb on the scale against the G5 guys. And so this week, I think they're really going to talk about the the hard-hitting defense and how, you know, guys, the, the reputation of the Big 12 is oftentimes one of, of offense, but this year we're seeing much greater balance and an improved uh, and increased emphasis on defense, and we're really excited to see that. Also, Notre Dame didn't allow any points against Georgia Tech, uh, so, again, defense fits the narrative there. I think we'll be talking a whole lot about defense this week. <laughs> Do you think Cincinnati's going to stay put at number five? Because that would be the like if Cincinnati is still at number five and Michigan jumps ahead of Cincinnati and lands at number four, it would be a move that would create lots of talking points. But the committee could also make it knowing that they've got the Ohio State Michigan game coming up, which could potentially create a knockout type scenario. So, uh, like Cincinnati otherwise moves up to number four, which means then we've got the Cincinnati position where if you're in number four, now you've got to come out with a way to bump them out. I think the Bearcats landing spots can be very interesting. I think it has to be four, don't you guys? Like no matter what way you look at it and like putting Michigan over them doesn't really do any good because you're going to – Tom like, doesn't think it's four. I know. I, I listened to that part. I, I was a little bit surprised he doesn't think so, but he's always been dead set. And I think he was his, – his, his, his reasoning, if I remember correctly, was, well, once if they're putting it at four, then they're stuck with them at four. If Cincinnati wins out, I don't think they'd mind screwing Cincinnati later. Like, I think tonight you kind of have to put them at four, but they could easily say in a championship setting, oh, well, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State beat a, you know, top 10 team, and you're playing Houston, who's a 20. I don't know what Houston's checking in at, but it would be a much lesser opponent who was a group of five opponent. And we've seen before with the TCU Baylor year, the first year, they were, they didn't, have a problem moving a team down despite winning. So like if they're going to screw Cincinnati, they're going to sue Cincinnati. They, I don't, they can do that later though. I don't think it makes sense. The thing, if they start talking defense, what does that mean for Notre Dame? Who I don't think has given up a touchdown in three weeks. Like I think that, yeah, like they, that's another way they could potentially keep Cincinnati out. Uh, but they've let if, the head to head though has to matter with that one. That's the thing that does. That's a real challenge. Like I, like, to me, if you put Michigan at four, it's just a placeholder, but it doesn't really serve as a placeholder because them or Ohio State's going to be out. So you kind of have to. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's. I just don't think they mind. I think they can they can define anything any way they want to. I think we try to look at it. I think I was totally wrong on this before in our side bet with uh, with Tom earlier in the season. I think Cincinnati has to be four, and I think they could easily screw them over the next week. But this week. 
I don't know the choices of who they would have over them that, you know, maybe it's Michigan because it was Maryland, but. Well, to your point about the last, screwing them at the end, I'm immediately taken back to the 2014 Big 12 scenario Mm -hmm. where Ohio State is number six going Mm -hmm. into conference championship Saturday with both TCU and Baylor ahead of it. And it jumps ahead of both TCU and Baylor, despite all three teams winning. They cite the like 62 to nothing Big Ten championship win. They cite the outright conference championship. And the Buckeyes end up, as we know, beating Alabama and going on to win the national championship at the end of that 2014 season. That's that's the danger for Cincinnati if it goes into conference championship Saturday number four, is whoever's at number five, the opponent that they play potentially could be a more impressive opponent. And that's where the decision in the screwed, I guess, uh, situation ends up playing out. Any it, other thoughts on? It's uh, complicated. Um, okay. Do you put Ohio State above Alabama? Yes. I think you do too. But if you want to get Alabama in as a two-loss non-champion, which they could, do you? Let's say you 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 drop Bama to three, and since he's at four, right? And since he wins out and they're conference champion and Bama sitting there at three, do you drop Bama only one spot to four? Like, is there a chance they leave Alabama in this spot at two just to like, maybe have a better chance to keep him in? I don't know. Like I, I really think that Danny was onto something three weeks ago with the two lost non-champion Alabama getting in, uh, I think that chance actually went down a little bit this weekend because me personally, I thought Oregon was like zero shot to get in. Um, But I don't know, man. This is going to be really, really pretty interesting. I also wonder, so set this up real quick. Big 12 champ getting in, right? Would they jump Cincinnati? Like is a 12-1 and Big 12 champ going to jump a 13-0 and Cincinnati? I think the logic would be tougher schedule down the stretch. They've played you know, that they they won their conference, but since then they say we also won our conference. This is where Tom's argument comes in because he's you know, he's saying, hey, like they don't want to have to find a reason to bump them out if they never put them in in the first place. So the only options for one loss Big Twelve champ are either Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, and it's not even certain that uh, like Oklahoma has to win Bedlam, then the Big Twelve title game is an Oklahoma Oklahoma State rematch. Oklahoma State is set in the Big 12 championship game. If Oklahoma loses and Baylor loses to Texas Tech, then once again, it's a Bedlam rematch. If Oklahoma loses Bedlam and Baylor beats Texas Tech, which I think is a more likely scenario in the Oklahoma loses category, the Big 12 championship game is Oklahoma State and Baylor. We've got a chance for a two-loss Big 12 champion. Which like, would not get in. Which would not get in, correct. We, we, we will know this weekend whether the Big 12 has a shot you know, by championship weekend. Don't And... and do you think it's better if you're a Big 12 fan? Or if you're, I, I clearly we know what Bowlesby wants. You're he Bob wants, Bowlesby. He wants, he wants Oklahoma State and Baylor. Like clearly that's who he wants. And then he would love Oklahoma State to get in the playoff and then he gets his payout and all that. So clearly that's them. But I do think Oklahoma State in the playoff, if they could win, I mean, I don't even know if it has to be impressively this weekend, but I do think some of the things they could reference as of late. Down the stretch, the opponents have been tougher and they could reference game control because they have been pretty dominant their last three or four games. And if they were somehow able to beat Oklahoma by 10 or more, that would be impressive. Like, I do think this is when you start looking at 
style points and eye tests. And if they can win impressively, which they've been doing, then I think that's the Big 12's best foot forward. Like if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, I still think, yeah, I just think Oklahoma State is the better candidate. Clearly they ranked higher too, but I think they they have the better opportunity to jump Cincinnati. Like Oklahoma's been kind of, you know, unimpressive all season long. And a lot of it's because the expectation was so high, but I just think they would have a, and they've got the the factor of re, like, does, do people really want to see Oklahoma again? Like that kind of, I think comes into people's mind too. If Oklahoma state loses in Bedlam though, now we've got, uh, it's Oklahoma's the only shot that you've got. Right. And then they could, and then if they lose, is it Baylor then that they would face? I think it's Baylor. They would play in the big 12 championship and they could Oklahoma their loses. Loss. Yeah, no, if Oklahoma yeah. wins against Oklahoma State, I think then it's Oklahoma Baylor, correct? And no, then, if and Oklahoma, no, then it's a rematch. Oh, it's a rematch. That's locked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. But no, it's not it's not locked on both sides. Oklahoma State is the one locked in. Gotcha. Right. So thank you to like the three or four Big Twelve, like Big Twelve fans out there who pointed that out several <laughs> times on Sunday. Um uh, uh, podcasting at midnight. A pun yeah, yeah. It's a Always pun. accurate. Upon further review, uh, as, as we put our final stamp on week 12 and turn the page to rivalry week in week 13, um, I'll, I'll go ahead since we just mentioned it. I, I wanted to come back and offer these conference clinching scenarios uh, at the power conference level just because um, we did fumble it a little bit on Saturday night. And again, I, I do not apologize for delivering on the preface that we might mess it up. Congratulations. We did. You should be a satisfied customer. Uh, all right, let's start in the ACC. Uh, Pitt has clinched the ACC Coastal Division. There are three teams still in the mix for the ACC Atlantic Division, Wake Forest, Clemson, and NC State. Uh, Wake Forest has the most simple scenario. Win at Boston College, you are in to the ACC Championship game. You're the outright uh, ACC Atlantic Division champion. However, if Wake Forest loses, it now falls into a tie with Clemson, which is already in the barn at 6-2 and two in conference play. Now, NC State, if it beats North Carolina on Friday, could create a three-way tie. The three-way tie winner is actually NC State. So what Clemson wants is not only for Wake Forest to lose at Boston College, but for NC State, which it has the head-to-head loss to, to lose. So Clemson still has a shot, but it needs Wake and NC State to lose. NC State needs to win and have Wake Forest lose to create the three-way tie. Wake again, win, and you're in. The Big Ten in the East Division, Ohio State, Michigan, very simple right there. In the Big Ten West Division, oh boy, it's a little bit complicated because we currently have Wisconsin at six and two, Iowa at six and two, Minnesota at five and three, Purdue at five and three. So far, Wisconsin has defeated both Iowa and Purdue, still has to play Minnesota. Purdue has defeated Iowa, but lost to both Minnesota and Wisconsin. Minnesota has defeated Purdue, lost to Iowa, but still has to play Wisconsin. Iowa has defeated Minnesota, but lost to both Purdue and Wisconsin. So if Wisconsin defeats Minnesota, no matter what happens anywhere else, Wisconsin wins the Big Ten West. That is your easy scenario. Uh, Iowa wins the West if they beat Nebraska and Minnesota beats Wisconsin. That is their only path. Minnesota can win the West if it beats Wisconsin and Nebraska beats Iowa and Purdue beats Indiana, we have a three-way, a four-way tie at six and three, and the Gophers would end up winning those tiebreakers to represent the West. We just went over the Big 12 scenarios uh, in terms of Oklahoma State being in and what it will require for Oklahoma and 
What it will require for Oklahoma and Baylor if they want to get in. Now on to the Pac-12. Oregon wins the Pac-12. Utah's already in for the South. Uh, Oregon wins the Pac-12 North with the win against Oregon State. Oregon State needs to beat Oregon and have Washington State lose in the Apple Cup to Washington. And Washington State... Washington State, which has been without a head coach. And by the way, if we want to talk about Washington State, I wouldn't be surprised if they promote the interim, the way that the Cougars have continued to fight through the rest of the season. Um, That's been a very, very good job there. But Washington State will win the Pac-12 North if Oregon State beats Oregon and it beats Washington. So a lot to keep an eye on. Was that, that that, that inform you, make you feel a little bit better? When I hear all that, I just think, how great would it be if we had twelve team playoff? I just and I know it's like something we say all the time, but let's look at how many more compellings there would be, even this weekend and then conference championship weekend. How much more we would have to discuss and like meaningful games and all that. Hopefully, we'll get it. Well, because we're discussing it within the context of a conference championship, which isn't the the like the top. Tw- oh, but you're saying with the automatic qualifiers? Yeah. Got yeah, it. like there were the six highest conference champs. Like, there's a lot of different ways. Whatever, whatever model they go with, conference champions will matter more then than they do now. Minnesota is like not even sniffing a 12 team if they're all auto bid or if they're all at large bids. But mm-hmm. if we've got an automatic qualifier, minute PJ Flex sitting there being like, "Hey guys, we can go to the playoff," right? And yeah. more importantly, their fans are too. That is always the most important. Uh, any, uh, what's, what are y'all sort of upon further? I got view, something. Yeah, I got, go, I got go. something. All right. When do they give out the Heisman Trophy? December 11th. December, yeah, December 11th. It's not November 20th because I felt like it was handed out to two guys. And I still think there's some people that are in play here. I think it's, Clearly, there are two favorites with what transpired over the weekend with Stroud doing what he did to Michigan State and Bryce Young did what he did against Arkansas. But I think we are massively overlooking, and I don't think it's Kenneth Walker III. I think Kenneth Walker III is an invite to New York, like, hey, great season, congrats. I don't think he has any chance to win if he went for 200 against Penn State. I just don't think you can do that on that big of a stage and come up that short and still win the award. But I do think a guy like Kenny Pickett is completely flying under the radar, who's actually longer odds than Matt Corral and Kenneth Walker the third still. And I still think he's in a prime position to potentially shake some things up late in the season. And yet we've totally written him off. I don't think I'll give you a hundred to one. Yeah, like <laughs> those are the odds to win. Like they don't odds makers yeah. don't put out odds to be a finalist. And right. Kenny Pickett Looks like Sometimes, like some of those, some of those offshores may may put out like like a who finishes second, who finishes third. He's at forty to one right now in the book I'm looking at, and I don't think it's that bad of a long shot. Because I here's why, Bud. You don't think he has a chance? Uh, no. We are forgetting that both of these quarterbacks, like this, the Michigan game this weekend for C.J. Stroud facing a Jabo and Hutchinson on the out, like those guys both have ten sacks apiece, like. He's got a pretty significant test this weekend if he plays Wisconsin's defense. That's one of the better defenses he'll face. Maybe it's not a big deal. And then what does Bryce Young have to do still? He has to face Georgia's defense, which is this historically you know, great defense. If those guys struggle in those games, meanwhile, Pickett, who should be the biggest Wake Forest fan there is, so that he can face that defense. I mean, he could throw five or six touchdowns in an ACC championship game. And I still think because it is now, I think the kind of the – 
The conversation this week hurts Kenny Pickett because I think the majority of people we hear out there will say, oh, it's a two-man race, two-man race, two-man race. But I still think it's ultimately going to end up being an MVP of the conference championship weekend. And if that's it, like I think he's going to have the easiest test out of all of them. Now, definitely Pitt hurts, ACC hurts, no no playoff conversation hurts. Like some of that stuff hurts him. But like I wouldn't be shocked if you had these other quarterbacks have a multiple interception performance on a big stage because they're facing their biggest test yet. The work that uh, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young have done so far is right there with Kenny Pickett. Like you take all you take all their passing statistics, and I'm talking about the normie basic passing statistics, the yep. ones that Heisman voters are going to look at, and they're all right there. But I think that that because so much work has been done, I don't think they need to be spectacular in the conference championship game. Like I think it's. Just- I don't think they have to be spectacular either, but I think the risk is: what if they look very pedestrian? Like what if a what if a Georgia defense does to Bryce Young what Ohio State's defense did to Kenneth Walker III? Then C.J. Stroud will win it. But what if then what if Michigan's defense or Wisconsin's defense does that on a big stage where they make – because he's had a little up does, and down. Does Ohio he's, State still win? What's that? Does Ohio State still win? Yeah, so, yeah, so you win. think it doesn't matter as long as he wins. Yes. I do think yeah, 100%. Matter. And also, I mean, just I think, like, it bothers if, me because if I Bryce think – Young goes off against Bama – he, I think he'll win it. Oh, yeah. Win, if he goes win, off against Bama. Or excuse me, if he goes off against Georgia, I think he'll win it. Absolutely. Win like, they don't yeah, have to beat absolutely. Georgia, but he has to, like, he has to be the one that shows, like, either slays the dragon or shows that they're mortal. Right. I think if he wins the game, period, and only has, like, yeah. 250 yards and two touchdowns and an interception, he might win with that. Just beating that team. The thing that bothers me about it, and uh, our buddy Brady Quinn, who, by the way, he's pumping up Bryce Young because he said he'd win two Heisman. So he's he said something like, oh, Bryce Young only has one you know, elite wide receiver. Imagine if he had three, if he was C.J. Stroud. It was like, imagine if Kenny Pickett had one. Like, give him some of those guys. And I think he Addison's would put up pretty good. Numbers. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Addison's elite. I mean, like, you think Addison's going to get drafted higher than Jamison Williams? I do. I- Ooh. Has it Bolitnikoff announced the semifinalist yet, or the finalist? Because Jordan Addison should be one. I've got him he, as one of the three really best damn good. Um, in college football. The, the other thing I would point out is like like Pitt's uh, like Pitt strength of schedule. And shout out to Coca for bringing this up. Oh geez, here we go. It it is pre- <laughs> it is pretty lacking. Um, oh yeah, because he's he's zero for zero for zero yards against top twenty five teams. Well, that's because the ACC they hate the ACC this year. That is true. Like, Clemson, Clemson should be ranked. He played pretty good against Clemson. Yeah. I mean, I think better than about 20 of these ranked teams. I think there's something to be said, too, about what your performance means to your team and how many, like, I would put Kenny Pickett in a lot of high-stress possessions where, oh, if we don't score, we're going to lose this game. You got, you know, even though Bama's defense isn't as good, even though Ohio State's defense may not be as dominant, you're playing from up a lot. And if you don't score, it's like, ah, we'll get the ball back pretty soon anyway. Now, maybe that's more of a conversation with Bryce Young because he's had a little less forgiveness than they've had there historically. But I, I just look at what Kenny Pickett has meant to that team and accomplishing something historic over, oh, this is just the latest quarterback. You plug in this system and it's the same stats. Like to me, that should be worth some value for Kenny Pickett. I, I agree. I don't I just don't think it uh, right. CJ Stroud for having three NFL wide receivers. I mean, you still got to get them the ball. And some of those, like, some of those deep passes are pretty. 
Like you, you, you got I, quarterback, Mr. Quarterback. I am I allowed to give him credit for establishing the rapport and the relationship with these elite wide receivers and being on the same page. So you're making the same reads and you're doing the same, you know, like adjustments sure. on the fly. Yeah. I and I don't want to make like- it. I don't want to make it sound like I'm knocking Bryce Young and CJ Stroud at all. They've been phenomenal. They've been awesome and delivered under the expectations that they've, you know, had put on them. I'm just saying, like, we do the whole what if you'd put this quarterback in that situation? I'm not so sure Kenny Pickett wouldn't be a great locker room guy who would build rapport and his ball would look pretty as James Williams or Chris Olave, whoever's running under it. You I know? think he like, would have done just as well as Bryce, Bryce or CJ if he was on these offenses. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I think Kenny Pickett is really, really good. I just don't think he will win. Like, Denny's argument to me has a lot of merit. I just don't think that it's going to have a lot of merit to other voters out there. You know, <laughs> the other thing is, which I'm not a voter, but like, I, the other thing I would say here is like, we are hearing the argument, hey, we didn't knock Joe Burrow for having those elite receivers. We weren't so sure that Joe Burrow wasn't the best player on that team, right? Like, nobody is confusing CJ Stroud for the best player on Ohio State. And yet, he's the Heisman favorite for a reason it's probably not going to matter man there is actually odds on with 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 two games left there's something so discouraging when we can look college football fans in the eye and be like i your argument has a lot of merit i don't think it's gonna happen matter (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) the heisman trophy the college football playoff you know whatever it is we're like no you're right those are a lot of good points doesn't matter this thing's going to uh, either – we've got an Ohio State and an Alabama quarterback that are among the top five in passer efficiencies and main passer statistics. The quarterback from Ohio State or Alabama is probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. But I do hope Pickett ends up uh, in New York City as a finalist just to, to just so that he could you know let those – he's got a good head of lettuce. He's got, he's got a pretty face. He's got a very marketable personality. I'm, I, I want to see him be able to uh, to get the full – a big Apple experience. Um, all right. Mac locks. I know we've got one from Tom, uh, but do you have any plays for, we've only, are, these are the final Maction games of the year, two games on Tuesday night. Uh, do you have any Mac locks? Dude, can we read Tom's first? I need to figure out if what I bet is still available. I don't want to give out stuff that people can't get. The Mac lock for Tom Fernelli is Northern Illinois, Western Michigan, under 63 and a half with the note, it's going to be windy in DeKalb. <laughs> I had more bets this week than I thought I was going to have. Like, I, I figured, okay, la- last week, I just, I mean, I'm probably going to mush myself here, but I, I feel like I was I was better than the market um, as far as ma- making adjustments for, like, motivations and, and things. We'll, we'll see if that proves that out. Uh, and now that I'm vamping long enough, my spreadsheet is finally pulled up, so I can tell you what I have. Cool. Uh, I played Western Michigan NIU under 63 and a half and under 64. Yeah. That so is a lock <laughs> agreement on the final Mac locks of the season. Yeah. Uh, by the way, undefeated last week in my Mac stuff uh, that we gave out on on, on Monday as well. Uh, I would play that to 63, which means it's no. Yeah, there's still a couple 63s out there. Um, but you know, NIU this, this year is an incredibly lucky team. Have you guys like paid attention to this? Well, are you talking about post-game win expectancy? Yes. They have post-game win expectancies in their wins of 36, 26, 16, and 46. They're like 3.8 wins to the positive. Pull me the sample size, but I think our post-game win expectancies in most Mac conference games can be a little bit crazy. Like (laughs) that's fair. You're dealing with a 
I don't want to be mean about this, but you're dealing with uh, objectively a quality downgrade where our variance has to be huge in terms of the way that the statistics equal the outcomes. I know some guys who just totally strip out the non-conference when they bet the MAC. Like they just don't think it matters. Almost yeah. like a UAB situation where, where we kind of think UAB like mails it in against Georgia and doesn't try to compete. Just or just so just because you just get don't care. Week, you get a good week of practice. You yeah. know, you just get them the chance to to feel what it's like to be hit hard by an NFL player. Just get you ready for the season. Are we only doing the uh, the um, the Thursday or Tuesday night stuff? Are, are there? I thought I only saw two weeknight Mac games. Yeah, I. Uh, if this comes back in range, um, I also played Buffalo over fifty eight. Okay, it's 58 and a half, 50 and fifty nine out there. But if it gets down to fifty eight, I'd hit that again. Okay. All right, I'm I'm gonna stick with the wind, and uh, I'll be on that under uh, in DeKalb. We will be back. Uh, reminder: locks this week will be Wednesday at 10 a.m. Uh, we will have our college football playoff reanking reaction show to the <laughs> you new. Just renamed it right there. It's <laughs> uh, our reanking show. <laughs> uh, buddy, you doing hangout tomorrow? I am. Uh, noon Eastern. Me and Cooper Fatagna. We got a couple of cool things on deck. We'll be talking about if you really kind of want to get like, you know, player recruiting. personnel nerd, a little recruiting action. Exactly. I'm yeah. also going to explain why I think uh, waiting for a coach who's coaching in the playoff or BCS bowl game should not be a factor in your coaching search. And I'm going to back it up with some data. I think that uh, that will, I don't know, probably ADs will not listen to and they'll continue to try to get, get a higher made uh, quickly. So be sure uh, the easiest way to keep track of all of this is to subscribe at youtube.com slash cover 30 smash the bell for notifications you can follow him on twitter at danny Cannell. you can follow him at bud elliott three you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.